0: He's a Catholic convert. Aren't you a Catholic convert? Yes. You didn't start out Catholic. You started out, what, Lutheran or—
1: Reformed Church in America, Presbyterian.
0: Wow. You're just one of those—all those Protestant kind of things, you know. Yeah. I'd like to start by asking you a question. Why did
1: you interpret it as a compliment when your friend said (laughs) you should be a Catholic?
0: Well, see, now there, there's the philosophy professor behind it. He's used to asking questions. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel. Um, Many of you may not know, but, you know, I know because I cover religion uh, and I've known for about a couple of years that this October is officially the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. It's the uh, big event in 1517 when the uh, German priest and theologian Martin Luther hammered his 95 thesis on the church door at Wittenberg. Um, many of you probably have learned that in high school or or college or um, somewhere in your you know public school class, but never really thought more about it than what you had to learn about the facts and you know answer the right questions on that uh, on that test that came later. But the Reformation is one of those events in history you know that um, many people really don't understand its impact on today's world, but it actually had a profound impact. And one of the issues is that it created a new division of Christianity uh, because Luther was in protest against some of the practices of the Roman Catholic Church. He was a Roman Catholic priest and um, he was protesting some of the practices like indulgences and something like that. But hence what we now call Protestants were those who protested. That's hence the, the, the phrase Protestant. Um, The term doesn't really nearly have the impact it once did. In fact, when you when you say the term mainline Protestants, we don't think of protesting Christians, we think of Lutherans and Episcopalians and Methodists and Presbyterians and, um, you know, Baptists and all of those. But for years, there was actual violence, almost animosity, really, I mean, wars being fought between Catholics and Protestants, not so much how they hated each other. But now in the 21st century, a lot of that has waned, um, a lot of it, you know, most of it, I think. But I think it's because most people just really don't have have any idea what the split really meant. Um, they have forgotten why the split was there in the first place. You know, I have many Catholic friends, even though I was raised Protestant. But my, my mother still has a few curious questions about Catholicism from her youth. You know, one of them, when she always repeats it, is like, why couldn't they eat meat on Fridays? You know, when her family was so poor, they were grateful for meat at any time uh, they could get it. So why would you not eat meat on Fridays? She just didn't quite get that. Um, and so for me, one of the most curious comments, though, are questions I had after someone read my book. And um, they like the book, by the way, um, the Lighthouse Faith book. And she says, why aren't you Catholic? You know, And I consider that really a compliment, um, but I'm not sure entirely sure why. And um, and someone who might actually help me navigate through that answer is here with me now in studio. And his name is Dr. Peter Kreeft. And anybody who's a Peter Kreeft fan um, is going to like, go, oh, my gosh, Peter Kraft. Um He's a professor of philosophy at Boston College. And um, as his biography on the book, jacket says, one of the most respected Christian authors of our time. Um, he's a Catholic convert. Aren't you a Catholic convert? Yes. You didn't start out Catholic. You started out, what, Lutheran or?
1: Reformed Church in America, Presbyterian.
0: Wow, you've just one of those all those Protestant kind of things, you know. Yeah. I'd like to start by asking you a question. Yeah. Why did
1: you interpret it as a compliment when your friend said <laughs> you should be a
0: Catholic? Well, see now there, there's the philosophy professor behind it. He's used to asking questions. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have I have I have very close friends who are Catholic in fact in my book, um one of the great influences is a um a Catholic woman who is like my second mother. Um, she attends mass daily. She is a member of Dei. She's a supernumerary. Um, and I told a, um, a Catholic journalist who wrote an article in a Catholic publication that, um, you know, w- when I'm in her house in um, on the island, um, if, I, if I don't have a car with me, I, in, I usually go to mass with her. You know, and, and then because I'm, I'm Protestant, and uh, she taught me that I'm not supposed to take the Eucharist mm-hmm. because I'm not a Pro- I'm, because mm-hmm. I'm not Catholic. Um, she taught me how to go up to the priest and just, mm-hmm. you know, cross my, cross my hands across my chest, and he blesses me. And so I like doing that. Um, I don't always understand the divisions and, um, because I know that, you know, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And so there's this division between Christians and Protestants about the Eucharist, about mm-hmm. what it mm-hmm. is. And so I don't know. I consider it a compliment because I think my friend would like that. Um, why are you not Catholic? And one of the reasons, I think, is that I learned so much about my faith in the Protestant church. And I never learned that when I went to mass. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't learn such really intricate details. I didn't learn to be an apologetic, you know, in the, in the Catholic church. You know, one of the things you said in your book, which is what we're talking about, your book um, is what, wh- why you're here. Um, you've written many books, but this particular book, I think, is the most recent one, I think. It's a 2017 mm, release, or if it's right. a re-release again. Okay. And it's called Catholics and Protestants, What Can We Learn from Each Other? And that fascinated me, especially in this idea that at one time we were killing each other, and now we can learn something from each other.
1: Well, 500 years ago, or even 200 years ago, uh, nobody would write a book with that title and nobody would say what you just said. I went into a Catholic church and, uh, with my Catholic friend and uh, – uh, no, they, they either condemned each other's bodies to burial graves on battlefields or at least condemned each other's souls to hell. Yeah, Almost nobody talks like that anymore.
0: Why is, I mean, why is that, you know, well, well, actually, one of the things you said in your book is like, you very politely, though, called us a heretic. But, you know, I I was okay with that for some reason. I was like, okay, we can talk about that, can't we?
1: Well, Luther called us Catholics heretics, so somebody's (laughs) wrong. Uh, Two things. One, the issues that still divide us are terribly important, if religion is at all important. Mm -hmm. And number two, uh, our attitude towards that division has radically changed since Luther's day.
0: How so? How so?
1: Well, Emo Phillips, one of my favorite comedians, uh, has a joke which was voted the greatest joke of the year 2010 or something. <laughs> uh, it's going to take a minute, but uh, let me tell you the joke. Okay. Uh, there's a guy walking to Wednesday night prayer meeting and he walks in and testifies. He says, uh, as I was walking to prayer meeting tonight, I asked the Lord for something great to do for his kingdom. And instantly he answered the prayer. I saw a man about to commit suicide by jumping off a bridge. So I ran up to him and put my arms around him and said, don't do it, brother. And he said, "Uh, why not? And I said, because life is meaningful. Uh, And he said, why? I said, because God loves you. You believe in God, don't you? And he said, yeah, I'm not an atheist. Well, good. You're my brother. Uh, Are you a Christian or a Jew a Muslim or what? He said, I'm a Christian. So am I. See, you're my brother. I hugged him a little tighter. Um, by the way, are you a Protestant or are you a Catholic? I'm a Protestant. He said, See, this is divine providence. What kind of a Protestant are you? Are you an Episcopalian or a Lutheran or I'm a Baptist? He said, Oh, so am I. This is this is perfect. A Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, I'm a Northern Baptist. So am I, I said. Are you a Northern Baptist of the 1918 Convention? Or a Northern Baptist of the 1928 Convention? And he said, I'm a Northern Baptist of the 1918 Convention. So I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> Everybody laughs at that.
0: Oh, my goodness. I, we are, you know, one of the things that's really, I want to bring this into the 21st century, and it's like saying, you're like, why should the Reformation matter? What, what does it bring to us that we didn't have before?
1: Well, because even from a secular point of view, the single most defining feature of modern Western civilization is the decline of religion. And Christianity used to define Western civilization, wow. and the Reformation is the most tragic event, the greatest split in the history of Christianity. Even the split between East and West in 1054 didn't change that much; just the attitude towards the Pope, mm-hmm. and you put an extra word in the creed. <laughs> but uh, Protestants have s- further split into somewhere between twenty and thousand, twenty and thirty thousand right. different right. denominations, and that's. That's not just an organizational problem. If the Bible is right and the church is Christ's body, Christ's invisible mystical body, then we're tearing his flesh from his bones.
0: you say that um, in the history of Protestantism shows a massive and natural slide toward modernism and liberals and relativism and historicism um, concerning the scripture? I mean, it really is this massive slide towards anything goes.
1: Yeah. That's just an empirical fact. Uh, There's a lot of modernists in the Catholic Church, too. Uh, Catholics are just as influenced by the culture as Protestants are. But here stands the pope thundering, yeah, but that's not what we believe. You Mm -hmm. may believe that, but here's the magisterium, the Rock of Peter, which says no. And even if the majority of Catholics in America are relativists and modernists, Catholicism is not. That's the difference.
0: You know, one of the things that Luther's – you get to it in this book about what Protestants and Catholics – or Catholics and Protestants. I'm sorry. The Catholics come first. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we did historically.
0: <laughs> I don't want to – answer the way it is. Um, this, is the, this is one of the facts about um, Luther is that he did not want to leave the church. No, he, he wanted his, to reform it. He wanted to reform it and he actually thought – that if he, you know, had these ideas about how we could, you know, better the church, you know, the cardinals and those involved was like, oh, Luther, thank you. I, You know, we need to do this. I'm so glad. And the so church he-
1: today agrees with the early Luther. Yes, we did need reform. That's why we had Council of Trent. Yes. And that's why things like the sale of indulgences and buying uh, clerical offices were outlawed. Yeah, it desperately needed reform. It was
0: very corrupt. So, he, But he did but, it, you know, he was almost burned at the stake for the, for the oh, sake of yeah. it. If it hadn't been for, you know, the Gutenberg Press and, mm-hmm. you know, printing all of his materials, I think he would have gone the way of. Oh, he thought you
1: know, he would. You yeah. know, his famous uh, line before the Diet of Worms, which condemned him as a heretic and was about to burn him at the stake. He said, here I stand. I can do no otherwise. God help me. He thought he was going to die. Yeah, yeah. He's it, certainly a noble man.
0: What, what went wrong, though? I mean, what went wrong with the Protestant Reformation?
1: A lot of things. Number one, both sides got into bed with politics.
0: Mm-hmm. But you versus we're the doing, pope. We're doing this today that today. Like. That
1: that has never worked. Yeah. The politics is the church's whore that it's it's constantly tempted to to have sex with. Uh, secondly, the divisions got worse and worse mm-hmm. as as they hardened, and Louis began uh, Luther began to deny some fundamental dogmas of the church, not just practices, and not just to reform it, uh, but. The difference between, let's say, Luther's view of the Eucharist and the Catholic's view of the Eucharist is not nearly as great as differences within Protestantism. He still believed in the real presence. Mm -hmm. And when Zwingli denied it and said it's only a symbol, Luther replied, well, um, one of us is of the devil, and I am not. Whoa. (laughs) That's rather strong language. Uh Zwingli, on the other hand, thought Luther was uh, as bad as Catholics. Wow, wow. The issue that stimulated most of the religious warfare, the two issues that stimulated the religious warfare were first of all the political power of the pope, mm-hmm. and secondly the Eucharist. More even than justification by faith, which was Luther's central doctrine. No. That's that's rather abstract and spiritual, but but here the Eucharist is is that Jesus Christ or is that just a, a holy symbol? Catholics who who bow down and, and adore that are they idolaters? Mm-hmm. Are they bowing to bread and worshipping wine? Uh, Or are Protestants missing out on the greatest gift God gives us in this life, his own body and blood?
0: This is This is the biggest issue. To my knowledge, it's not the Romans, you know, the verse in Romans, you know, know, faith in what— That's been solved. That has been solved. The decree on justification
1: uh, approved by the Vatican and uh, uh, the worldwide uh, council of Lutheran bishops says that uh, we essentially agree— because we both believe what the Bible says about justification. So that's
0: been knitted back together. Yeah. The, the main issue that, that Luther was opposed to that started it all is now back together. Yeah. Yeah. Luther thought Catholics didn't know how to get to heaven. They were working their way in. Yeah, they were paying their indulgences. So they were paying. Yeah. Things, like, I don't have to go to, I don't have to, go yeah. to confession because I paid, um, you know, how much money, yeah. you know, for my sins to be forgiven. And Catholics
1: thought Protestants were believing, as long as I have faith, it doesn't matter what I can do. I can murder people and go to heaven anyway. And both of those were simply mistakes, right mis- deep
0: misunderstandings. The Eucharist is something that i't non non Catholics and nominal Christians don 't even know what the word means, yeah. so I want you to explain in your best you know, um, professorial kind of way, what is the Eucharist?
1: Well, it uh, has different names. Catholics usually call it Eucharist. Protestants usually call it the lord 's Supper or Holy Communion. Uh, it's the rite that Christ initiated uh, on uh, the eve of his death when he took bread and wine and said, this is my body, this is my blood, do this in remembrance of me. Now, all Christians who believe the Bible say that is true. That's in the Bible. What does that mean? Uh, Did he mean this symbolizes my body and blood? Or did he mean this is the very body that's going to die on the cross tomorrow and this is how I'm going to communicate my salvation to you?
0: That seems a very small thing to someone outside the church, but it's a huge thing within Christianity. It's like the claim of Christ himself. He claims to be God. If he's not, he's the
1: most insane idiot who ever lived or the most blasphemous liar who ever lived. Mm Mm-hmm. From a Christian point of view, uh, the only religion that can't be negotiated is Christianity because that claim is an absolute either-or.
0: You say in your book – that I wrote this down because I thought it was very I, – I, I put a star next to it. You say it's the non-negotiable. All Christians believe that he, Jesus, is God. If they don't, they are apostates, not Christians. And no non-Christians, whether religious or non-religious, believe that he is God. If they did, they would be Christians. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that either-or –
1: which C.S. Lewis made famous by his Lord, Liar, or Lunatic argument, mm-hmm. which comes from the Church Fathers, by the way, back to the second century. Uh, that also applies to the doctrine of the Eucharist. That looks like an either or two. I mean, somebody's making a, a really important mistake. And it also applies to the claims of the Catholic Church to be the authoritative, divinely instituted, visible voice of Christ on earth. Mm-hmm. No other church claims that. If Catholics are wrong, they're the most arrogant church in the world.
0: <laughs> and somebody, so and some a people pain. have said that. Have some people oh, yeah. have said that. It's Trevor consistent. And, but that is also what a lot of people fear. That secular world actually fears because we understand or you understand it's called you, – you take that non-negotiable. And then you say – you take it to the Great Commission, which means the conversion of the world to Christ. Yeah. yeah. And the, that's what the secular world fears.
1: The two groups that are the most threatened by that claim are Protestant modernists and Catholic modernists which is why Catholic and evangelical Protestants are together. They're very strong on that claim, and they resist relativism and modernism, mm-hmm. and therefore the secular world is afraid of them.
0: You know, one of the, um, we want to get through some um, you know, other kind of disagreements like Protestants and, Christ- and uh, Christians. Protestants I say that all the time. People say that to me. Are you Christian or are you Catholic? And like <laughs> Not all
1: slips of the tongue are Freudian slips.
0: <laughs> it's, um, the idea of purgatory. I mean, this is another oh. issue. Oh, that's an easy one.
1: That's the easiest... To- Catholic doctrine that Protestants don't believe to explain to Protestants. Uh, When I told my parents I wanted to become a Catholic, they were, of course, very shocked. And my father, who was a good man, a very wise man, an amateur theologian, had a lot of arguments with me. One was about purgatory. Mm -hmm. And I remember one day we went on and on and got nowhere. My mother, who's not at all a theologian but very commonsensical, once we stopped yelling at each other, said – to my father. John, I think Peter believes the same thing we do. No, he doesn't. He believes in purgatory. Well, we don't believe in purgatory, but but Peter, let me check this out. Peter, is, isn't it true that you believe in purgatory because you believe that the Bible says we're sinners, right? Right. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay. The Bible also says that nothing sinful can enter heaven. In heaven, you're perfect, right? Right. And the Bible also says that there's... Uh, a really, really big difference between being a sinner and being perfect, right? Right. Well, uh, I believe that too. So if the Catholics want to call what God does to us to get us there purgatory, and we don't want to use the word. Aren't we just arguing about words? <laughs> and my father stopped for a minute and said, maybe so. Let's talk about something else.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I lost that argument. Now, the, the argument is about Mary the mm-hmm, Marian dogmas mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is another thing that Protestants bring up that says you know there's nowhere in the Bible that we are supposed to worship Mary mm-hmm. the mother of Jesus oh we don't
1: we we do the same thing to Mary that we do to all the saints we ask her to pray for us mm-hmm. and if it's not a bad thing to do to ask uh, our friends to pray for us why is it a bad thing to do to ask our heavenly friends to pray for us and if the other saints why not Mary and she's the closest of all she was literally the mother of God
0: Okay. I'm, speaking of Mary, I'm wondering- But we don't jump, worship her. Uh, I want to I want to jump around here because one of the other things is fascinating, and uh, we talked about. And I want to bring this up is that you mentioned the miracle of Our Lady of Fatima mm-hmm. in the book. Uh, it was 1917, and I want to pair this with something that uh, you mentioned that John Paul II said, which was the first millennium of Christianity was the you know when we're all together. It's the unity. We're all happy Christians, you know, until 1054, and the mm-hmm. East and West uh, split the yep. Great Schism. Yep. And then the second millennium is, is typified by Christian disunity. Yep. You know, you've got the, the, the first schism. You've got the Protestant Reformation more and, more and splits, all of these yep. little splinters on the here. And then the third millennium, where we are now, is it Christian reunification? Is this what we're looking at now?
1: It is. Certainly, there's much more desire for that than there ever was before. Mm-hmm. And certainly, people are working for that more passionately than they ever did before. The consensus that that's where we've got to go. Somehow or other, we've got to find our unity. That's almost a universal consensus, except for very extreme fundamentalist wings.
0: How do we how do we do that? I mean, how, what's the evidence that oh. we're getting back into? What I know what my evidence is, and I think that today there are more books out about Christian apologetics than mm-hmm. there ever has been before. Mm-hmm. The, the The average Christian, if you know, were the you know the, that actually going to church. Um, knows more about their faith mm-hmm. than they did, you know, 50 years ago. Yep. I mean, 50 years ago, I mean, like my, mom, my parents' generation, they were kind of breathing the air of Christianity. They were living off the capital of the sort of a Christian ideas. That's
1: progress. The more the world says we don't care, the more we say we do. Mm-hmm. And the more they breed problems like relativism and subjectivism and indifference, the more we get solutions. This is tremendously important, and here's why. And yep. that's true of both Protestants and Catholics.
0: Um, that whole idea I'm gonna say what I went back the Fatima. I want to get back to Fatima. Fatima then becomes we are part of now, that lead up to the third millennium. And Fatima now becomes much more interesting in that You know, for 1917, three peasant children in Fatima, Mm -hmm. Portugal, witnessed visions of the Virgin Mary revealing to them three secrets about the wars. And how does Fatima fit into that reunification if it does?
1: Well, first of all, it's a spectacular event. Uh, As far as I can tell, it's the second most widely viewed miracle in the history of the world. 70,000 people saw it. 70,000, wow. many of them skeptics. And a movie and was made of them out of two. <laughs> yeah. Well, that doesn't prove anything. The only other miracle that uh, uh, had more people see it was the miracle at Zeitoun, uh, a suburb of Cairo, where uh, Mary was seen by mainly Muslims but also Byzantine and Coptic and Catholic Christians on the dome of a Byzantine cathedral making peace signs between Muslim and Christians for a week. Two million people saw that.
0: Wow. Did anybody take a picture? I mean, when, when what year was that? In the 1990s. I'm
1: not wow. sure just when. Uh, Google it sometime. Yeah. But uh, Mary seems to be a point of division. Mm-hmm. Most Protestants, when they say, I'm interested in Catholicism, I like this, I like this, they balk at Mary, at the Marian doctrines.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I remember... Talking to a very large audience of about fifty percent Protestants and fifty percent Catholics mm-hmm. about this issue, and they were very polite, and they uh, asked a lot of good questions, and there was fine dialogue, and I maintained the Catholic position without compromise, and the Protestants were not offended. Mm-hmm. Uh, and did you call them talk- heretic
0: as well? I think I did. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: And I think uh, you should call us the same thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, and I
0: talked about the Marian
1: dogmas and mm-hmm. explained mm-hmm. that the church has always gradually believed these things and is unfolding them, and they understood that and Then I said something that made them very, very quiet now as a teacher i 'm very sensitive to noise because students are usually shuffling and, <laughs> and they 're not that interested in, in lectures and If you make a point that stuns them they don 't breathe for a minute and you hear that <laughs> Well, everybody in the audience stopped breathing when I said. Uh, most of you, both Catholics and Protestants, think that Mary is the main cause of the division. I think exactly the opposite. I think she is going to be the main cause of our union. Because who in heaven or earth wants Christ's brothers and sisters to love each other and, and, and be together more than she does? She's a mother. We're all her children. And we deeply sadden her by our divisions. So she's going to do it, and she's doing it right now. Wow. When, when I said, it's not just a, an idea that we're talking about, it's a it's a real heavenly person who's doing something by your prayers. They got very quiet.
0: It's very interesting. I want to, at uh, the Fatima visions, Fatima is the name of a Muslim princess. Is there a Muslim, is, is... I Muhammad, believe it was the name of, of Muhammad's daughter. Muhammad's daughter, right. Which is an interesting idea that because it seems as though, if this is actually real, that the... Mary is reaching out to Muslims. Indeed, she is. In fact, Muslims have
1: a great devotion to Mary. Uh, she's the only woman who is mentioned many times in the Koran, uh, always in a positive way. She's called the ideal Muslim because of her fiat, her surrender, her let it be done to me according to your will. Mm. And pious Muslims and pious Christians, both Protestants and Catholics, agree that the heart and center of all authentic religion is that. What is it to be a saint? To say yes with your whole heart and soul and life to the will of God. That's that's what Islam means: total surrender to God. And Mary is the ideal Muslim.
0: Well, and it's interesting that in many ways, and I don't understand why, you know, you know, Islamic terrorism is so adamant about sort of obliterating Christianity in parts because because it's the Quran actually reveres Jesus I,
1: and I, Mary. It does indeed. I have a theory about that. Uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but I think the devil always picks out the holiest ideas, the holiest people, the, the holiest things to corrupt, mm-hmm. which is why he's trying to corrupt womanhood and the family today. Now, uh, there's something very holy at the center of Islam. It's, it's a heresy, it's wrong about Jesus, the Quran is not infallible, etc. But most Muslims are good, sincere, pious, holy, moral people. Mm-hmm. Uh, how come it spawns such terrorism? Because I think the devil's afraid of it, as he's afraid of Christianity. Not as much, mm-hmm. but he's afraid of it, so he wants to corrupt it, and he succeeded in corrupting it enormously, in producing such such terrorist extremes and, and such hatred.
0: That's interesting. I've never said I've never had anyone say that before, particularly a Christian was saying that you know, you know that the, the devil sort of is attacking in Islam because he fears their piety. Who sees the devil the most? The saints. The holiest ones. Uh, he doesn't withdraw.
1: The devil is not a coward. No, he, he goes where he's hated the most. Wow! And certainly, hate-filled terrorists are doing the devil's work. Um, you don't find hate-filled terrorists among the modernists. No, they, don't, you don't, they don't care enough.
0: Well, I heard that said. You know, a, a, a Baptist preacher said, "You know, I didn't know it was Baptist." One of the one of the one of the Protestants, Baptist Luther, you know. Trespo, tearing, whatever. <laughs> it was one of those. But just said, you know, the devil, um, you know, if, if you, the, greatest, the greatest harm the devil can do is for you not to believe in him.
1: That was C.S. Lewis.
0: There it is, C.S. Lewis. He yes. said almost
1: everything worth saying.
0: <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I keep L- Lewis
1: also said that the two biggest mistakes we can make about the devil are to pay too much attention to him and pay too little attention to him. Because if you're at war, if you vastly underestimate or vastly overestimate your enemy's power, you're going to lose.
0: Steve Steve is a brilliant mind. Um, yep. One of the um, other things um, that I wanted to get to too, basically, because we haven't really talked about what Protestants and and Catholics can learn from each other. And one of the things you thought was just so profoundly said in the book is that Catholics are the fireplace, and the Protestants are the fire. And the one thing that David Martin Low jo- Jones said in his one of his books about fire, he says, fire makes a great servant but a bad master. Mm-hmm. And that a fire without a fireplace is just burns down the house.
1: Well, we have a bigger fireplace, but you have one too, and you have a big fire, but we have one too. So it's not that there's a fire over <laughs> here without a fireplace, and the fireplace over here without a fire. But we've got. The institutional and and creedal and impersonal objective orthodoxies very firmly in place. Uh, And most Catholics are pretty, okay, we'll take it for granted. There it is. We Mm -hmm, we rely mm -hmm. on the institution. Uh, Evangelicals, on the other hand, perhaps because they don't have that big a fireplace, stoke the fire and are generally much more passionate than Catholics. We need them both.
0: But you're saying, one of the things you said that really, really pained you in your class, when you ask the question of the students, uh, do you think you're going to heaven? Do you think not you're
1: quite? Go- not quite. It was uh, if you died tonight, mm-hmm. and God said, "Why should I let you into heaven?" Okay. how would you answer him?
0: Ah, much a better question. And the most
1: popular answer of all was the worst answer you could possibly give. It was the answer the Pharisees give. I'm good enough. I try hard. I'm sincere. I try to obey your laws. I know I'm not perfect, but I you know, I try I do this, starting with the word I.
0: And that was answered by most of the Catholics. Yeah. Yeah, the Catholic students. Yep.
1: Yep. Evangelicals on the other hand much more frequently mentioned the name of Jesus.
0: Because of Jesus' mm-hmm. sacrifice. And this of course that was theologically correct.
1: Not only theologically correct, but religiously, personally correct, experientially correct. I mean, God, God will probably get them into heaven anyway, even if they don't mention Jesus. Uh, it's not a <laughs> theology exam, but they'll get in as good pagans.
0: <laughs> but didn't that tell you something about you know? And when you say, oh, "Why am I not a Catholic?"
1: Frankly, it told me that the Catholic Church in America has been a disastrous failure in preaching the gospel. And the Pope agrees with me because he calls for a new evangelization. Now, what does that mean? How is it new? It's not a new gospel. Yeah, it's a new audience. Hmm. Who, who's the audience? Catholics.
0: You know, that, that's the second. What is it? The second largest religious group, or ex-Catholics. Yeah, but it's very scary. But you know what? I could when, when I talk to priests, I could tell you how you increase. You know, you, you know people showing up at, at mass. First of all, give better better homilies you know, and make it, make it mean something and not just a five-minute, oh, well, you know, I went down the street today and, and you know, and da-da-da-da, and I said this, and, you know, I, I think people, you know, it's like this morality kind of play it's in, even, in it's five even, minutes.
1: It's, that's true, but it's even deeper than that. You can't make people see religion as a life-or-death affair uh, for them unless it is for you. You can't give what you don't have. Mm-hmm. So if you're not ready to be a martyr, you're not going to produce that, Kind of fire that faith in in other people,
0: but I also think. And this is why you know this is another reason why I am a Protestant and not a Catholic. First, I was raised Protestant in an AmE church. I had no reason to jump over to the other hmm. side yet. Hmm. You know, I you know God's still working on me if that is his if that is the calling. And and Cardinal Dolan I think is working on me too. So, but. And maybe my friend Kathy. But the thing is that I've learned so much about my faith in the Protestant church that I have not learned in the Mass. And I, the times that I've been at the Mass, um, if I were going to this Mass all the time, I could kind of phone it in. I didn't have to really be moved by the Gospel mm-hmm. or by, you know, the Scripture, you know, the, the, That's or changing.
1: That's changing. After Vatican II... Uh, which was a good thing, but the media hijacked it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most Catholics in the West uh, became rather relativistic and said, oh, uh, we're getting better every day in every way. Let's just love people and sing Kumbaya. We we lost two generations. Mm -hmm. Catechesis, Catholics learning what their faith really meant and why it was important, uh, there was very little of it in the the 70s and 80s. And once John Paul II got in and uh, appointed a lot of really good bishops, that's been turned around. So, mm-hmm. so most Catholics today do take their faith much more seriously than they did a generation or two ago. But the other, if thing they don't, you,
0: they leave the church. But, but the other thing you can do is um, make better um, bulletins for the mass. <laughs> That's
1: true. <laughs> because,
0: too. because as a Protestant, you know, when you go, if you're a visitor at a Protestant church, nobody knows because the bulletin says everything you need to know. All the scriptures are written hmm. there. All the hymns, the order, everything hmm. that is happening is there when I go into a Catholic church and go to mass, it's like, where, where, what, where are we? I mean, my husband is Greek Orthodox. It's the same thing when I go to the Greek Orthodox church. Mm-hmm. First of all, everything is chanted and sometimes in Greek. So it is Greek to me. But I mean, it's the idea is like, you know, can you make it accessible so that everybody who shows up knows exactly what's going on and the prayers, because there's so many prayers by rote mm-hmm. that a lot of Catholics just know and they start talking they start saying it and then i'm looking in the back to try to figure out where that prayer is and that's true but there's a half excuse for that we've we've been doing this for
1: thousands of years you're the new kids on the block so you need more instructions but
0: but but i think it would be really great you know if somebody wanted to suddenly come back to church one day Mm -hmm. it would come back if they show up and they feel like they stand out like a sore thumb because they don't know what's going on Mm -hmm. they'll never show up again right why don't you just make it easier right you know, and yeah. that's just my complaint. Maybe you can speak to somebody about that. Duly registered. <laughs> but I do want to get to um, some of the things that um, are more serious about it. And I want to just reiterate that we're talking with Peter Craft, Dr. Peter Craft, who's the author of Catholics and Protestants, What We Can Learn from Each Other. And you've written many books. I and think the
1: very first answer to the question of my title, What We Can Learn from Each Other, mm-hmm. is that we need to learn from each other. We need to listen. We need to change our attitude. They're not the enemies. Mm -hmm. They're not the other. They're Christians, too. They're separated brethren.
0: I don't think Protestants have that idea about Catholics. I know I don't. I mean, I think more Catholics have that idea about Protestants. When I was a kid
1: and a Protestant, I was taught that Catholics are probably not even Christians. Wow. And the Catholics that I met uh, in the 50s and 60s believed that Protestants were barely Christians and probably not even going to heaven. Wow. We've made enormous progress since then. As you say, very few people believe that anymore.
0: In the words of Rodney King, can't we just all get along? Well,
1: <laughs> the, the obstacles to that are enormous. The yeah. differences are terribly important, and they're not easily negotiable. And you can't compromise the truth, if you're honest. How do you? But, but, hold on, hold okay, on. Okay, all right. We used to think that was step one. We've got to sit around the negotiating table and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, without compromise, figure out how we're really saying the same thing in different words. We did that in only one case, the, the issue of justification. by faith. We haven't done, we haven't done that on, on the claims of the church, on the Marian doctrines, on the relation between Bible and tradition, on the sacraments. We haven't done that on anything else. But that's step two. Step, done, step one, I think we've been v- remarkably successful at. That has changed our attitude, mm-hmm. our heart. Uh, we want unity. We love each other. we are right. not our enemies. Uh, the Eastern Orthodox have a saying: "Orthopraxy leads orthodoxy." That is, if you practice, if you live your faith, then you will understand it.
0: If you make, if you make it attractive, I think one of the things that has brought so many people into these Protestant megachurches is that it has become attractive, that there's something that they're, they're learning I in a way. I disagree
1: with that. I think the faith is inherently attractive. We just mm-hmm. have to stop putting blankets over it. Mm. You don't make it attractive. Uh, you don't go to church the, for the same reason you watch TV, for entertainment. You go to church because if you're a Catholic, you believe Jesus Christ is there and his sacrifice is being applied to you sacramentally in the Mass and being offered to God. That's the holiest thing that ever happened. That's why you go. I I agree with you that most mm -hmm. Catholics haven't been taught that very clearly.
0: No, and I think that, like I say, better homilies would help, you know, in in understanding the faith and applying it to... Their people's lives. Um, one of the things, and I, I do want to get to this, because what about the, the conflict in Christianity is having uh, and concerning, and, and it's not just Protestants, it's the Catholic church as well. Um, it is the issue of homosexuality and gay rights. And how do you foresee that playing out in the future and how the church handles it?
1: The church almost always, in a controversy, takes a position that's hated by both extremes, both sides. Jesus offended the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Mm -hmm. He offended the collaborationists, the Herodians, and he offended the zealots, the rebels. So the Catholic Church, on the one hand, offends extreme conservatives by saying that we should love homosexuals. They are called to be saints, Mm -hmm. and your sins are just as bad as they are. On the other hand, it offends the homosexual activists themselves by saying this is a sin, one of many sins, and we should not live that way, and it is not God's will. Change your lives. Repent.
0: Yeah. That, so how do we it see says those <laughs> two, Both those things are non-negotiable. How do, you, how do you see that playing out? I mean I, I think this issue has become really the sort of cultural civil war of our day. I mean yeah. even if you're not particularly religious, I find that this issue has become is, – Non-negotiable.
1: Absolute non-negotiable. I think World War III is going to be fought between gay activists and Muslim terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> They're the people with the most passion. I don't oh know who God. I'm
0: rooting for there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's going to make the cut. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, the, the, one of the things, though, that I think is really important when you talk about um, reunion, um, of Christian reunion, of mm. uh, the Protestants yeah. and Catholics and all the divisions of of Protestantism is that is to love God more than we love reunion. And yes. I think that Herbert Schlossberg actually brings it out, bring this out in his book um, – Idols for Destruction and talking about you can make an idol out of this. In
1: fact, the more important a thing is, the more you're tempted
0: to idolatry. Nobody
1: idolizes paper clips. (laughs) People idolize sex. Why? Because it's it's, it's holy and it's powerful and it's passionate and it deals with life. Yeah. So reunion is really important and we can idolize it. We can say, let's negotiate truth. Let's Uh, let's make God a means and our uh, visible union an end. No, God will not be instrumentalized. We have to simply say, you are God and we are not, and you are the conductor of the orchestra and you are waving your baton, and we may have different ideas than you, but yours are always better than ours, so we're just going to follow your baton wherever you wave it. And if both sides do that, we'll get unity because that's His will.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the all, all you thing too is, and I think it's it's odd that uh, you know some Protestants are more comfortable being on a dais with like people of other religions mm. rather than people of the same religion but different denominations. Mm-hmm. You know, and I.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because there's. Very little chance that they'll become Buddhists or Confucians, but they're worried that they might become Catholics someday. <laughs> and vice versa with Catholics to Protestants.
0: You haven't quite convinced me, though, to be, become Catholic, but maybe we can talk didn't about try. that. You didn't try, which is okay, which is okay. But I do think you do I, – I will. I keep going back to this point. Um, and, I, and you disagree with me on this idea of attract and uh, uh, making it attractive, making it, um, you know, not about who's right and who's wrong, but about let's come – to Jesus and um, on together. that's not an either or.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't compromise truth. The only reason anybody in the world should ever believe anything is because it's true. Uh, here, two things that are very attractive are happiness and morality mm-hmm. and very important. When you were two years old on December 24th, you were very happy and you were very moral. Why? Because you believe in Santa Claus you don't believe in Santa Claus anymore. How come? It's not true.
0: Well, I kind of do. an absolute. <laughs> I kind of believe in Santa Claus. Symbolically. St. Nicholas, know. he was a real okay. person. And he was a real saint. He was a real saint. And because he was, you know, it's, he's uh, revered in the, in the Orthodox Church, the Greek Orthodox Church. I was married in St. Nicholas. Uh, 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 okay, but what
1: you believed when you were two was that there was, was, was right. a big exactly. man in a red suit. Red suit, suit can, right. right, right, right. Now, look, look what you did. Look how tough-minded you were. You sacrificed two terribly important things. Uh, You were probably very
0: unhappy when you realized that Santa Claus was only a myth. No, I really wasn't because I think I'm a little different from other people in that um, Jesus replaced Santa Claus. And the birth of of Jesus became so much bigger and so much more worth Christmas than Santa Claus. Santa Claus to me is kind of a really cool thing, but the birth of the Saviour is the greatest gift well, of all. Well good,
1: then let me ask you this follow up question. Uh-oh. Uh, suppose you became honestly convinced that Jesus was just a big Santa Claus. Oh would you would you still be a Christian?
0: No, um, no because it would not good you're honest right I mean because Jesus is Christianity I mean it's not like it, without that without the okay. resurrection there is no, so there is if, no if, if two people yeah.
1: appear before the last judgment and one of them is an honest atheist who used to be a Christian and he made mistakes uh, and he uh, concluded that Jesus unfortunately was a myth I'd like to believe it, I can't mm-hmm. but he's honest mm-hmm. side by side with him there's a dishonest Christian he believes it's probably all a myth anyway, but I want to believe anyway because it gives me the jollies. <laughs> uh, who's, God, who, who's going to get a higher place in heaven or a lower place in hell or more purgatory, whichever? Who's, I... who's, God's, who's God going to favor the most? The honest unbeliever or the dishonest believer?
0: Well, the honest unbeliever. Of course.
1: Of course, that's lesson one. You know, it's
0: it's the lesson that Jesus said. You know, you know about the the, the men praying at the wall. You know, exactly. you know, like you know, one says, you know, oh, thank you, God, that I'm not a woman, that I'm not a slave, that I'm not this. You know, I'm you know really upright. And the other one prays,
1: you be know, dear God, and be mercifully
0: be, merc- be merciful to me because I am a sinner.
1: And he is a sinner. He's a publican. He's a tax collector, <laughs> which is worse than a lawyer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. So we are still. I mean, the, really, the paradigm never changes for us. Exactly. There's only a limited amount of sins that are sort of in various um, varieties, but it's basically just a handful.
1: Hell has limited imaginations. <laughs> God has much more.
0: Well, I want to thank you. This has been a fascinating conversation, and I just, like, I could talk to you for, for a very long time. Um, at some point, we have to end, and we have, we have to catch the train or something like that. Uh, Dr. Peter Kraft, Um Let me make one recommendation.
1: Uh, read my book, but read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Oh, I've uh, read it several times. I think that has done more good for the ecumenical movement than any other book ever written.
0: It, 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 Catholics
1: it, love it, Protestants love it, and he doesn't compromise.
0: No, exactly. He doesn't compromise on the actual faith, and he is not particularly. Wishy-washy. He's not wishy-washy about it, you know. And yep. your thing about I want to bring up Lord of the Rings because what I didn't understand you You're writing another book, and that is about Billy Graham.
1: Um, Tolkien,
0: Tolkien, and, and C.S. C.S. Lewis, Lewis arguing
1: about the Eucharist. Oh wow! And Tolkien says that the Lord of the Rings is a fundamentally Christian and Catholic work.
0: And I didn't know even Tolkien was Catholic.
1: Oh yeah, very devoutly.
0: And how is Lord of the Rings tied into the Eucharist?
1: In particular and in general, in particular, lembas, the elfish waybread, is like the Eucharist in many ways. Oh. Just as Elbereth, the elf queen who helps them from heaven, is very much like Mary. It's not an allegory. It's not an exact parallel, but very much like it. But in a deeper way, the whole thing is incarnational and sacramental. The, the enfleshing of spirit in matter uh, happens at, at all places in the Lord of the Rings. There's no Cartesian dualism. This is purely spiritual. This is purely material. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, that's not so much a particular Catholic dogma as the Catholic mentality. And it's not anti-Protestant necessarily, but Protestants tend to be more spiritual, more inward-oriented, a little little suspicious of matter. They are suspicious of the sacraments because they're too materialistic. I know when I became a Catholic, that was the hardest doctrine for me to accept, that if – two people of equal faith go into a church and one receives the Eucharist, which has been consecrated and is the body of Christ, and one receives the Eucharist, which hasn't. That the first one gets more grace than the second. That sounds sort of magical and, and, and mechanical, but- Sounds unfair, too. Life is unfair. But if that woman with the hemorrhage who touched the hem of Christ's garment and was instantly healed, If with her faith and devotion, she touched the hem of somebody else's garment by mistake, she wouldn't have been healed.
0: We don't know that for sure, though. We know that that she was healed because the scriptures say that. Yeah. And that's why it's in there.
1: Right. Right. And sometimes Christ says your faith has healed you. Right. So there are examples of, of healing from the inside out, so to speak, faith healing. Yeah. But healing also happens by his touch. If... Christ had not touched the blind man, he would not have been healed. That's a physical thing.
0: Well, there's a lot on the level of, of miracles that we could be talking about. And I just – Well, thought, thoughts are not miraculous.
1: No. Uh, here, Buddha and Socrates are probably the only two other teachers that influence the whole world radically besides Christ. One of the three of them wrote a book, by the way. Uh, but both Buddha and Socrates said, I can save the world by sharing with you my mind. So, both of them said, uh, This is the truth. Uh, this is the way. This is my mind. Christ saved us not by saying, This is my mind, but by saying, This is my body. He gave us his body. That's very material.
0: It's very material. He had to
1: actually die on the cross.
0: That's actually physically. It's one of the great mysteries of the Christian church yep. that is. You know, theologians you know they spend you know their entire careers talking about this and we will never fully understand it and we'll it. never fully understand it all right dr peter Kraft, um the author catholics and protestants what can we what can we learn from each other you are also the author of many other books how to be holy catholic christianity i burned your your peace that's very interesting it's about augustine's confessions yes because god is real christianity for modern pagans um very fascinating talk with you uh, at Boston College and uh, has a, a wonderful um, edition, not edition, but um, what has a wonderful mind. They are teaching the young folks there. Very interesting stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you very much for listening to the Lighthouse Faith podcast, Moving Forward in Truth and Love. Thank you very much. I'm Lauren Green. It was a great pleasure. God bless you. God bless you, too.